Welcome back to Rhythms of Grace. My name's Nate. I'm the executive pastor at Grace Church, and I'm here with Sung Kim, who is the lead pastor of Grace Church. And this podcast is all about finding faith, uh, maybe call it in unexpected places. You know, we spent season one talking about how we find faith or experience faith uh, based on the different rhythms and seasons of our life. Uh, in this uh, season, we're talking about how you find faith through self-knowledge, primarily using the Enneagram as the, the format. So we've kind of done a lot of the basics of the Enneagram, and we are in the deep, deep, murky waters of the Enneagram now. We're about to enter those dark waters the where you see the, like the ugly fish that's in right. the ocean. That's right. Yeah. So we, why don't you let us know what we're going to be diving into today? So we're going to talk about something called triads and tri-types. Okay. Tri. I know that that means three. Yeah. So the triads are just basically, if you look at the Enneagram, they're divided up into three different um, centers or um, maybe for simplicity, we'll just call it the head, the heart, and the body or gut. And so um, each, like three, three of the nine numbers fall into each of those, uh, one of those categories. Okay. Why don't you break them down for us? I think that'll help us. Yeah, yeah. So um, the thinking, uh, or what do you want to start? Thinking, okay. Yeah, yeah, let's do uh, it. The thinking triad is um, the five, six, and seven. Okay. Those tend to, yeah, head-centric. What, yep. are, the, what are the heart numbers? Heart, heart numbers are two, three, and four. And would those be like feeling numbers? Mm-hmm. Those are feelings. Okay. Now, you may already be thinking, well, I'm this, but I don't, you know, I I don't feel or I don't know what I feel. Just wait. Mm, You know, that's right. It will all become clear. (laughs) And then the action or body type is um, the one or the eight, nine and one. Eight, nine, one. And remember, if you look at the Enneagram visually, the nine stands at the top. Eight is just at 11 o'clock. One is at kind of one o'clock. So so if you picture it. The circle, 891, the the northern end is the action. The eastern, southeastern end is the feeling. And then the the western end is the the thinking. Yeah. So let's let's dig into these a little deeper. Which uh, which triad do you want to start with? Well, (laughs) let's just say the reason why this is this construct is helpful to divide it into triads is, for example, each one has a core emotional issue that they usually express. Each triad does. Each triad. So beyond just uh, each, because we talked about individual numbers sort of having their own uh, is like sin or drive or yeah. motivation, but this you're saying that each triad has sort of another yeah. driver. Has a pri- well. Yeah, has, has primary emotions. And, and the way that they're expressed is, um, and this is true of each triad, I hope I'm doing a good job of this. I'm just, I'm trying to wrap this around in my yeah, brain yeah, yeah. or organize it. So under each triad, so l- we'll take the 891. Some of the, the emotional issues that they um, express are anger, control, and autonomy. And uh, we both fall into this. Are these all, are these all negative or not necessarily? Uh Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> wah, wah. Well, and again, the Enneagram is a great tool to dive into some deep, dark places in your soul. Yeah. That oftentimes, you know, kind of today's pop psychology, feel good, doesn't really mm. t- 
talk about. And, and so in this way, it's a good way to, uh, um, for this tool to allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light into yeah. some areas. Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, in terms of, uh, I've, I've been pretty transparent about my journey through therapy and, and maybe I've even shared this before, but there were weeks where at the end of every session, the question would end up being, what am I trying to control that is outside of my control? And I remember saying to my therapist, like, why do we always end here? <laughs> and she said, well, that's kind of the nature of the beast with control. Like it, and you can see, I can see, cause I'm a one, mm-hmm. how much my desire or need for control was driving so many of my other behaviors, mm-hmm. right? So for me, at least personally, this really checks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been it's been a year and a half journey of me sort of learning to let go and not be controlled by my desire for control. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I again, as an A, I fall into that triad too. So when, when you and I are trying to control each other <laughs> is when we, we have the stormiest seasons in our relationship. And the, and the difference is, well, and this is a good way, we'll, we'll, th- we'll illustrate this. Under each triad, there is one uh, of the type, eight, nine, or one. One of those will internalize these emotions. The other will externalize it. And then there's one that is either conflicted, contradicted, or even disconnected from this emotion. Okay. And so um, the ones, uh, they are usually uncomfortable with anger. And so they internalize it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, that like that is absolutely true of me. Hmm. Uh, I I actually experience myself as a very angry person, Hmm. although most other people don't. But that's because it's primarily internalized. Hmm. And and I sort of navigate my anger internally when I'm in the car. And again, you know, part of that is the work that I think God is doing in me, that internalized anger can actually is a is a doorway where I can process, well, why am I angry? Hmm. What how should I respond? How do I want to be? What is God calling me to be? But internalizing anger is yeah, man, that's that's me. Yeah, and on the other end of the triad, you know, one is on the one end, um, eight is on the other, and they externalize their anger mm-hmm. um, and need for control, and they and so the difference is, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, ones usually turn their anger internally and, and try to improve themselves. Eights try to uh, extend control by improving others and resist being controlled. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you take an eight and a one together, right? Uh, You're internalizing your anger, um, externalizing my anger. The other thing that's really interesting, because you said you experience yourself as an angry person, but because it's internalized, but other people don't. Oddly enough, or maybe, maybe not oddly enough, I don't experience myself as an angry person because Mm. it all comes out and then I'm back to equilibrium. And so, but the thing that drives an eight is this constant sense of frustration with the world, Mm. right? I call it frustration. Other people would say anger. Yeah. But, um, and so here you have the the example of one that's internalized, anger, control, and autonomy, the one, the other that's externalized, um, and then this is the one that's always fascinating, the nine, which is in the middle of the triad. They have a conflicted relationship with anger and control. And oftentimes, if you talk to a nine and, and you say, you know, um, 
they will often say when they, they realize anger, they'll be like, I, I don't feel anger. Mm. In other words, they're disconnected from yeah. anger. And so they don't feel like they're angry. And oftentimes with nines, it'll just be the slow boil. Oh, I mean, when we, our interview with Alice, who is a nine, she talked about yeah. that. She's like, my fuse is very long, but once it goes, watch out. Right. In fact, we named the podcast How to Tell When You've Upset a Nine because it's re- it, their anger is a very, very complex emotion for a nine. It they is. are conflicted by it all the time. Yeah. I think the other thing that's, that's interesting as I think about the eights, nines, and ones that I know is that while eights and ones will tend to try to establish autonomy in uh, something they'll fight for. The nines that I've observed almost like uh, passive-aggressive, maybe if they're unhealthy, but in some ways they'll just sort of withdraw, just sort of slowly try to find autonomy by going inside themselves or just removing themselves from the situation emotionally um, or even physically. Right, because they want to avoid conflict. Yeah. And so the way to achieve autonomy is to not be in the mix of all yeah. the conflict. And I think what's tricky is to observe that that is still an attempt to control. Mm. It can feel like it. It can be like, no, I'm just trying to remove myself from the situation. But that is still at, at its root a, a, a desire to exert some sort of control, even if it's just control over how you feel or how you are being ordered around or how you want others to behave, nines will try to control by sort of removing themselves. Yeah. And again, the thing that's fascinating is, as I think of a nine and one control, it's hard for someone like me to even try to understand that, oh, you you stepping away is a way for you to control because my instinct is the exact reverse. If if I want more control, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to raise it up a notch. Yeah. And the nine will just step back and and say, no, no, no. But that's their way of control. Yeah. And especially considering we're in sort of the gut and action triad, it can be confusing to say, well, is like, is removing yourself from the situation or or withdrawing, is that action? But it, I mean, it really is. It is. It really is. Yeah. That's good. So that's the first triad, which is the action body gut type. Uh, the second one is the feeling type, and this is the heart triad. And so th- the main emotion here is shame or a lack of self-acceptance or lack of self-esteem or self-compassion. Okay, lack of self-compassion. And so, again, with each of the, this is a two, three, and four. Okay. And, and we're going to walk through the internal and external and the contradicted again. Because if you're a two, you will recognize this, but twos, they turn their feelings um, externally. They, ser- they, they search for their sense of self-acceptance by tuning into other people's feelings and earning approval. And okay. so they exude warmth. There's a right. warm energy about the twos. Right. And so I- any kind of shame and acceptance, they look for it outside themselves. Okay, so they're external. Mm-hmm. The fours turn their feelings of shame and alienation inside themselves. Yeah. And so they connect and amplify their feelings of disconnection from others. I'm not, you know, ashamed. Uh, all inwardly. Uh, sure. Or like, uh, no one understands me. Yep. I'm different from everyone else. Or yeah. why Why did I have to be born this way? Or why am I burdened with this? Yeah. Again, I, I have a couple fours in my life. I love you all if you're listening. But I've observed this, that it, it tends to be a very internalization of, um, 
of these emotions. Mm-hmm. And so fours, when you talk to them, or if you get them to open up to your uh, to you, they it just feels like they just have this bottomless pit of emotions. Mm-hmm. Yes, a- and it, it's a storm. At least for someone who who may not be connected to his feelings, it, yeah. it can feel like a storm of just emotions. For yeah, a four. I mean, again, my son, who's a four, he he feels things more strongly than almost a- anyone else in my in my household. <laughs> he does, and that's not uh, it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it is, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah. And then threes are conflicted. Yeah. Right. The one in the middle, and this is going to be true of all three uh, triads. The one in the middle is always the one that's conflicted. And so when you talk to a three, that was, um, Alex Mm -hmm. that we interviewed, uh, they have this, uh, when you ask them, well, how do you feel about this? They're so disconnected from feelings. They'll be like, what does that mean? Mm. But if you ask them, well, what do you think about this? They'll tell you, oh, I think this, this, and this. Okay. How do you feel? So they're, they're, uh, they have a conflicted relationship with just earning acceptance and, and, uh, and even the shame that they feel about not being who they want to be. They're constantly putting on a facade. What they do is they disconnect from their heart so that yeah. they don't have to feel that. Yeah. I can see why that can be confusing because if you talk to a three, you'll think that they're more of like a head type, right? But it's because they're it's because of their confliction around emotions and really what is driving them even if they're not aware of that is the things that you're saying. Their desire to be sort of um accepted and achievers and have value. Those are all feelings. Those aren't thoughts. Those are feelings. Yeah. And so uh, they that's really what the driver is, even if they aren't quite aware that that's what's happening. Yeah. Like, just for example, last weekend I was t- uh, talking to somebody who's a three, and the thing that I just kept noticing is professionally, he just kept talking about his fear of failure. Yeah. A- and while threes may not express it, underneath that is a deep sense of shame and trying to come to a place of acceptance. So again, there's a, there's an example. The contradicted ones are always the, I think if this is the first time you're diving into this, the hardest to wrap your head around. And I think it's helpful to remind people that when we're talking about the Enneagram, we're primarily talking about motivation. So, you know, a three is going to not look like they're being feelings driven they're because they're act, they look like action sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they, they tend to be achievers and doers. Um, they're going to talk about what they think of something, but we need to remember that their motivation is a feeling that's really driving all of those actions at the top. Yeah, that's good. And then the last triad is the thinking. Um, This is the five, six, and seven. And so the issues, the emotional issues that they often wrestle with is fear and anxiety. Sometimes there's uh, a sense of cynicism or uh, insecurity. And so, like the others, there is one that is internalized, the other that is externalized, and the other the, there's one that's contradicted. Okay, maybe I I well, I mean we already know the key, right? The mm-hmm. five is internal, the seven is external, and the six exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you gave it away when you said the middle one's always conflicted. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a it's a good helpful mnemonic device. Yeah. just like just yeah. Um, I, I mean, I will say this: I was talking to a six yesterday, last night. Um, and she was talking about her anxiety and I said, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Most of the sixes, especially six wing sevens that I know anxiety is a, is a huge issue. She's like, yeah, that like, that's, 
that is the the way that we feel all the time. Right. Like, oh, that's it's there, man. <laughs> it's there. Right. And so the fives, what they do is they escape fear and anxiety uh, from the external external world by going into their heads. And mm-hmm. so if you meet a five, they can often seem like they're always inside their head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sevens, on the other hand, deal with fear and anxiety by trying to outthink or outrun all of these fears and anxiety. And so they externalize it on some point in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Or they fill their calendar and just yeah. sort of like go, 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 go. Yeah. Yeah. And then the sixes are the ones that, again, feel contradicted. They're, they're, they, they don't know how to think about their anxiety. They go back and forth. The way I've heard sixes talk about it is when I ha- there's a decision to be had, I feel like there's like at least a dozen different voices inside my head, and I don't know which one to listen to. Wow. And so they feel, again, contradicted. And what do I think about this? I don't know. I, they go back and forth. So they could, again, be disconnected from their thinking. So uh, this reminds me of the conversation that I was having with my daughter, who is a six. Because for me, as I said earlier in this episode, for me, anxiety, the root of my anxiety is trying to control what I cannot control. Mm-hmm. I was trying to apply that to her to help her navigate some of her own anxiety, and it never worked Mm. until I realized exactly what you said, that for her, it's the multiplicity of options that brings her anxiety. Kind of like there's got to be a right answer, or I got to make sure I do this right, or what if I do this, and then this happens. The multiplicity of opportunities is actually what brings her anxiety. So focusing on that as the driver Uh, has made our conversations way more productive because instead of me asking her, like, what are you afraid of or what are you trying to control? I simply say, like, what is the decision or what is the circumstance that you're afraid of how it's going to go or you're afraid of how it's going to shake out or you're afraid that you're going to make the wrong choice? And then suddenly we're having really productive conversations about how she's feeling. But, uh, that's the, that again. That's the motivation for her. Even though our anxiety looks similar, mm-hmm. it's rooted in a very, very different place. Yeah, and if you take the other others in that same triad, the seven, the the anxiety with multiplicity of options is they want to do it all. Yeah, and yeah. so they just go, 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 and they don't, you know, they they don't want to miss anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean. One of the things that we didn't do last episode that I wanted to lean into a little bit more as we're talking is how, how does faith intersect with these core uh, emotions? It was a little easier for you and I to talk about the, the gut triad because we both experience our faith intersecting. But for somebody else who's sitting maybe as a five, six, or seven, they're dealing with anxiety and insecurity. What, what does faith how does that inform, how does that self-knowledge inform the steps of faith that perhaps they could take or should be looking Mm -hmm. towards? One, I think, uh, um, internally, one externally. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So internally, I think it's, it's just a helpful tool to articulate areas that you, you sense or feel, but now having words to it. Sometimes when somebody like, it's like reading the Psalms. Sometimes like when David or some of the Psalmists say something and I read it and I go, Oh, that's exactly what I feel. I just was never able to put it into words. Sometimes just being able to articulate something and name something uh, allows you not to be controlled by it Mm -hmm. or at least begin that journey. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think the other thing to be aware of is externally being more aware of how you show up in relationships because if you're uh, like, if, if you're always hot energy, if you're always like this action gut eight, nine, one, like you don't realize how intense that is, especially for somebody who's, let's say a warm energy of the feelers, two, three, four. Yeah. And so even helping. So just to say relationships is faith. Yeah. That, uh, that is not separate from your faith walk. Yeah. And the way that you engage in the physical relationships you have to you have to know that there are parallels in your spiritual relationships as well. Yeah. The way that you show up um, with the people around you, you're probably most likely bringing some of that into your faith sort of walk as well. And just being aware of that, you know, um, I think that can be helpful. I think the other thing, especially if we talk about the the head triad, if we're talking about anxiety and insecurity, you know, knowing what those things are rooted in. Being able to sort of work your way down to say, what am I afraid of is going to happen? Where do I feel insecure? Those are places God wants to speak. Mm. Those are those are things that he wants to help heal in you. And so walking it out and working your way down, even though it might feel like non-spiritual work, at a point you reach a place where your identity or your, again, for the, you know, 891, your need to control or desire for autonomy, those things are going to conflict um, or they're going to be places of pain that God wants to bring healing. Yeah. So taking those walks sort of deep into your soul can can actually produce some some real beneficial spiritual fruit. Yeah, yeah. And this really lays the foundation for uh, tri-types, which is... Different than triads. Yes, the triads are the three different uh, head, heart, gut, mm-hmm. thinking, feeling, action. Th- that's the triad. So if you're this, if you're a type two, you are automatically part of the feeling triad. Mm-hmm. But the tri types is a bit different because I've heard people say, you know, Sung, I I'm a one, but I feel uh, I really connect with this type as well too. So what does that mean? And tri-types really help to uncover that because we've always said you are dominantly one type, but that doesn't mean you can't access the other types. In fact, that's healthier when you do. And so when people say that, oftentimes they feel confused. Well, am I a one or am I a six? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Really understanding tri-types can help uncover, oh, this is, this is kind of the unique flavor, um, if uh, I don't know, it's appropriate to say human personality is a flavor, but mm-hmm. just to say, that, you know, if you think of flavors of, of taste, like there are just thousands of yeah. them. And so this is why the Enneagram, as we go layers deep into this, just to say, well, you're an eight or a one, it's not just putting you in a box because there's so, so many more layers and complexity to this tool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's helpful for people maybe to understand that if you've sort of, if you've heard one of our episodes about your specific number, or maybe you heard us talk about wings and you're like, yeah, that, that, that checks out. But what about this? That doesn't seem to quite fit. That's kind of what we're starting to navigate into possible explanations as to why you might operate a little bit differently than the other sevens around you or the other fours that you know. Yeah. So 
I'm going to I'm going to take a stab here and say that tri types probably mean that you have one of each of these. You do. Okay. Yep. So um you are a type core at your core your type is a one mm -hmm. and that's in the action center. But that also means when it comes to how you access your feelings there is a number in the feeling triad that you would fall under. You, whether you internalize feelings, externalize it, or you feel contradicted. Yeah. And then same with thinking. Uh, there's a way that you think that's either internalized, externalized, or contradicted. And, and then the three, as a one, your, your, your other numbers uh, constitute what we would call your tri-type. Yeah. And so... Um, Do you know what your tri-type is? Yep. So my tri-type is... Uh, my, my core type is an eight... That's how I show up. Mm -hmm. um, the way I think is like a seven, which is this externalized. And the way I feel is a three, which means I'm disconnected okay. from my feelings, which I think all those things you could attest to. Right? Yeah. And, it, and again, it gives a much broader picture of kind of like why you are the way you are. Yeah. Because if somebody was an eight uh, action center, but they were a two in the feeling center and a five in the thinking center, they would show up really differently. Yeah. They, they, they might show up as an A. The, the, the motive might be to control, but they're going to appear on the outside more caring, mm -hmm. and they're going to seem more introspective. I think you could also say that if someone went from, because we, we talked about this too, the order in which your tri-types appear mm -hmm. is also important. Yes. So that if someone was primarily an eight, but then showed up as a five, maybe that's where you're getting like the Steve Jobs type of person. You right, know, right. someone who is like really sort of driven and, and shows up as an eight, but a lot of it's sort of like their own. In his own head. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that's true. So um, it's hard to quantify unless you take uh, like an assessment, a professional assessment, which by the way, if you're interested in, you could let me know because I am certified and our staff is about to take it. Um, awesome. So, yeah, I was trying to figure out what my tri types are, and it's tricky. Okay, what do you think? Well, I would say, um, I I would say that in terms of the heart, I feel pretty confident about being a four. Mm. Um, the desire to be unique mm. and uh, and creativity are both very very strong in terms of the way that I feel. Uh, in terms of the head, that one is tricky for me. I would tend to say that I'm either a five or a six. Mm. I do spend a lot of time in my own head. Um, I do love to research. I do tend to retreat into my mind when I'm feeling uncertain or bored. Um, but then also, you know, I'm, uh, I could see a six as well, probably. Yeah. Uh, I tend to, I'm, I do tend to be very sort of loyal and will continue to push forward in something long <laughs> past any benefit internal or external. Um, so I, I could, I could see, I could see either one of those. Yeah. So if you take this concept of triads and then a tri type in particular, you have one that's dominant, which is your core type. And that's yep. the one that you prefer to access Whenever you face a decision or any kind of challenge or this, that's your comfort zone. Yeah. And, and that's your core type. Um, and, and your secondary triad is the one that you use to broaden your perspective or uh, to bring balance to your primary, primary type. Hmm. And whatever your last one is, it's often 
neglected or suppressed and you only use it as a last resort. Oh, okay. So okay. understanding which one is dominant, secondary, and last is, is also really important because, like for me, I don't access my emotions un- unless it's a last resort. Mm. I see. I see. Um, so I, I, I access how I show up in my body. I access my thinking. And the last resort is accessing my feelings, which I don't like to do. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that, um, that other uh, analysis that we did as a staff uh, where it's like red, blue, green. Mm-hmm. What yep. was that one called? Uh, core strengths. Core strengths. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it, and it was a similar sort of setup, which is that um, there are there's the tools that you use all the time and are sort of immediately available to you. There's the ones that you can access. Right. And then there's ones that are sort of like last resort. By the time you're ready to just sort of throw in the towel, you fall into sort of this third category. Um, uh and it just reminds me of that. Yeah, similarly. exactly. Right. A- and maybe this is just bottom of the ocean depth here. But <laughs> like if you were to take you and I, we're both action centered. But depending on whether thinking or feeling came next, mm-hmm. you get a different uh, flavor. Yeah. 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 So if you're action and then you have feeling and then thinking, uh, th- you know, y- then you are... M- you're, you're more able to pick up on subtle cues of the people around you. You show up a certain way, but you're, you, you, just, you, you, can a- you can act quickly, but you're also very much aware of people's feelings. If, if, if you're action and then thinking, uh, it, it's like this, this makes sense, and you just move. Yeah. I think that's the two of us, right? I don't know. Mm. You're kind of, you, you, uh, you kind of straddle both. Yeah, I'm, I'm not curious again. To see, I'm curious I know. To see I am, I am I am unsure. I am unsure because really depending on the situation, um I I I can I can remember opportunities or times when I've gone either direction. Either way, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of times where I've just said like I I just need to think about this, like I need to sort of like, you know, sort of live into the five. Um and then there are times when the yeah, when I do sort of move straight into the feeling area. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure. No, that's, that's good. Uh, I um, I think we were going to break this up into two episodes. I think we could just capture it all in this last yeah, one. Yeah, let's do it. But um, just as a way of summary, going back to the the triads, right? If you're action first, you're going to be your that tends to be much more expressed as hot energy. You know, it relates to action and movement and instinct and and just physical sensations. Mm-hmm. If you're a feeling uh, triad, it's going to be expressed as really warm energy. So feeling and meaning and relating and connecting. And if you're a thinking triad, it's going to be expressed as really cool energy. And I, I've been using that those terms throughout this episode, but you're going to be relating it to information and rationality and ideas and planning and priorities. And so, uh, again, like when you put all this together... Um, your core type, your wings, your lines, and subtypes and, and tri-types. Yeah. You really, you really can have like a dozen people who are eights, mm-hmm. but they all look different. Yeah. Or feel different. Yeah. Um, and their priorities may seem different from the person on the outside, but the motive, the driver is all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And again... We usually start by saying this, but but one of the reasons we're using the Enneagram is because, sorry, we found it to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Not no, no model is perfect. And in some ways, all of the different variations on the Enneagram 
prove that to be true because you can sort of live into wings or we talked about lines or we talked about uh, now we're talking about like tri types, you know, and what was the other subtypes? There's lots of different ways to color it. Um, and if you find those helpful, great. Like that's that's like that's part of doing the work of, of knowing yourself. But no model is perfect. So if none of this fits, sorry. <laughs> and if it doesn't fit, well, Jesus is perfect. There you go. There you go. There you go. So uh, this is actually going to bring an end to this yeah. episode, and it's going to bring an end to season two, two. of uh, of Rhythms of Grace. We've got some great ideas about what season three is going to be, and you're not going to have to wait long. We're going to no. give ourselves a week or two off, and then we will be right back into it, uh, navigating season three. Of In fact, can of I Grace. make a plug for it? Yeah, bring it. Because I would love for people to actually... Uh, give input. Oh, okay. In shaping that okay. season. Yeah. So season three will be uh, difficult Bible passages mm. or questions, whether it's, it's about the Old Testament or what does this mean? How um, or, or just hard sayings. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are just like, uh, yeah, that could seem maybe barbaric or just even like just confusing, head scratching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it can be an intimidating book. And so whatever those questions are, I, I had one person say to me, uh, um, and, and actually prompted the idea for the next season, Sung, can you explain to me sometime the whole idea of like the unforgivable sin? Yeah. I, I feel like I've committed it. And if I've committed it, like, and so like those are yeah. some great questions. Yeah. And so whatever the question is, you know what, do this. Text me at 734-709-5742. Is that your personal cell number? It is. Oh, my gosh. That is a bold move, It is. If you call me, I'm not going to pick up. There you go. He only answers texts. (laughs) Uh, Text any question you want, and we will try to tackle that. I I already have, like, a handful. Man, and some of these questions are going to be hard. Yeah. Um, they're hard questions and there are no easy answers. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's what's going to be difficult for me is that I love to wrap stuff up really neatly. But I, as I look forward to season three, I realize there's going to be a lot of times where that's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Oh man, the biggest one. I'm, I, I am still trying to wrap my head and heart and just around it. And this is an issue that I've been wrestling for decades and and somebody just asked it the other day and i'm like oh that's got to go on the podcast but like why does god seem so violent in the old testament yeah man that's such a good question oh dude i when i read (laughs) through the i read through the bible in a year and the old testament was so hard for me because i would ask myself all right who's gonna die today (laughs) like it didn't matter how many verses you were reading somebody was gonna die yeah you know and that as a person of faith and as a person not prone to violence that's hard yeah. to say, like, oh, this exists the faith. So we're going to tackle that kind of stuff. That question, many more, and pretty much anything that Let you us have it. to Sung. Thanks so much for joining us for this season of Rhythms of Grace. We will see you again soon.